Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Welcome to church, friends. How are we doing this morning? Awesome. Fantastic. Excited to be with you guys today. Um, just so grateful for last week, as Pastor Dan was saying, and what an awesome time for us to remember and to look to the future, to the next season. And I was just reminded that, man, God has been so faithful. He's been so incredibly faithful to this church through the past year and a half. And I, I could not be more fired up about the days ahead and where we are heading as a church. And today I'm excited too, because we're diving into a new series on the book of First Corinthians. And so if you have a Bible with you, you can open it up to 1 Corinthians for the next seven weeks, all the way up until Advent. Can you believe we're seven weeks away from Advent? What happened to 2021? My goodness, here we are. Seven weeks away from Advent, but for the next seven weeks, we're going to be diving into the book of 1 Corinthians. And, you know, as I was studying this book and reading through this book this week, something struck me. Something profound hit me as I was reading this ancient letter that was written nearly 2,000 years ago to a group of people in an ancient civilization that on the surface would seem like, wow, they have nothing in common with us today. But what struck me as I was reading this letter was this, very simply, humans have not changed that much over the past 2,000 years. We haven't changed that month. Yes, we've had some massive technological advancements. We have air conditioning. We have the internet, transportation, modern medicine. All these sort of things. Our, our buildings are taller. But at the core, if you cut us down to our core, humans have not changed that much. The very same issues, the core issues of every human heart are still the same. 2,000 years later, and that's why the Bible is always relevant. The Bible never goes out of style because it's always dealing with God's truth and the reality of our human condition. It's always applying the truth of God to the reality of where we're at and the core of who we are. And so today we're going we're gonna to give an overview of the book of 1 Corinthians. We're, we're going to give sort of the 50,000 50, foot flyby of the book. So as we dive into it for the next seven weeks, you can, you can kind of get your head around where Paul is going and what he's doing here. And amazingly, the, the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter of 1 Corinthians, actually begins in Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18 is where the story starts. And if you're familiar at all with your Bible, Acts is the story of the early church. And it's the story of Peter and Paul and, and many of the apostles who went town to town and city to city all through the ancient world planting churches. Planting churches, little groups of Jesus followers in all these cities over the ancient world world. And what's cool is you can read through the book of Acts and you can actually see where many of these churches began. The, the church in Ephesus, the church in Athens, the church in Corinth. And so in Acts chapter 18, I'll read it for us. We can 
We can hear, we can learn about the beginning of the church in Corinth. Here's what it says. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, not very far away. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. He's trying to persuade them to follow Jesus. And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. I love that. He was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the, that the Christ was Jesus. When they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. And he left there and went to the house of a, na- of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. So he didn't go very far away, just right next door. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And then if we skip down to verse 11, it says, He stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So Paul stays in Corinth. And I'll show us a map just to give us a little bit of context here. He came from Athens, took a short little journey over here to Corinth. Corinth was a very important city, just like Athens. It was part of a bridge between two different areas up in, um, I'm going to get all these names wrong, Macedonia, Epirus, all the way down through into the Mediterranean Sea. It was a port city. It was a center of intellectual reasoning. It was a center of commerce. It was a powerful, influential city. And Paul, in his heart, said, I want to plant churches. I want to tell people about Jesus where I can have the most influence because many people are going to come through this city. And if there's a thriving church in this town, in Corinth, then people, what they loved to do in ancient times was they would gather together to listen to new ideas, to listen to to famous orators or people who would bring forth new ideas. And so Paul said, I want to have a church here in this, in this variety of ideas with all the different beliefs that are being presented in the city. I want a witness and a testimony of the one true God here. So Paul stayed for a year and a half and he planted a church in Corinth. And then it says, if you skip on down to uh, verse 18, After this, Paul stayed many days longer, then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. And so he left. So Paul would plant churches, he would stay for a while, he would teach them the gospel, he would teach them the way of Jesus, then he would move on to the next place, and he would plant more churches and share the way of Jesus with more and more people. And the interesting thing is this. Most of the Christians in Corinth were not Jews. If you remember what I read at the beginning, the Jews kicked Paul out of the synagogue. A few, a few of them believed, Crispus being one of them, a few of them believed and followed him right next door to the house of justice. And they listened and they learned the way of Jesus. But many of them were just pure Roman Greek citizens. 
didn't grow up with any sort of Jewish upbringing, didn't grow up with any hope in the Messiah. They grew up going to uh, worship the various Greek and Roman gods at the various temples. There was zero context for this idea of the one true God in heaven who was writing a story that actually included them who was the author of all history, who was the maker of all things, who himself came in the form of his son and died for them as the ultimate sacrifice so that they could now find God again. This was a revolutionary idea, unlike anything they had ever heard before. And they were attracted to it. Many of them believed Paul and followed the way of Christ. And so this church is planted in Corinth. Now, as the text says, Paul headed out to Syria after a year and a half. So he set up leadership, gave them instructions for how to gather, how to meet, and said, good luck, guys, you got this. Hopefully I'll make it back at some point and check in on you. It's gonna be great. And they're fired up, they're excited, they've heard the grace of God, and then Paul moves on. Now, shortly after he moves on, on his way to Assyria, he begins to get reports. He begins to hear some news from this church in Corinth. And uh, to be quite honest, as I'm reading the book of 1 Corinthians, it gives me so much hope for the church today. 1 Corinthians, it's like Christians gone wild, okay? It is the, it's one of these books where you're like, what is happening? This is wild. It deals with all the, the juicy stuff. So it begins with divisions among the church, sexual problems, lawsuits among believers who are really angry at each other, marital issues, singleness issues, food issues, idolatry, head coverings for women. What's that all about? Should we go back to that? I don't know. Women, who's in favor? The Lord's Supper. People are literally getting smashed drunk on communion, okay? Okay. They're like, we love communion in Corinth. It is awesome. Spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues, prophecy. Everyone's standing up at random times saying, I've got the word of the Lord today. I've got the word of the Lord today. It was chaos in Corinth. It was totally crazy. And here Paul is getting these reports of what's happening over there. And he's like, oh my gosh, I've, I've got to address this stuff. I've got to get into this. And so Paul starts off, and what I love is in the very beginning, he calls them saints. In the very beginning, he calls them beloved of God. He's heard all these issues, all these, all these crazy things happening at the church in Corinth, and he addresses them as fellow believers. He doesn't call them out for that. In fact, the, very, the first three verses, I'll just read the first three verses. He's heard all these reports. The, the whole book of Corinthians is him responding to these reports. But here's what he says in the first three verses. Paul, he's addressing himself. I'm writing this letter. Called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on in the first nine verses. He says the name Jesus eight times. Eight times. There's a whole bunch of issues going on. He's gonna get to those in a second. But if you want, if you want to know what the Apostle Paul is all about, 
If you cut the apostle Paul to his core and said, Paul, what's the message of your life? What's the main purpose of your life? What's the big idea of your life in this letter and everything you're doing? He would say, okay, let me boil it down for you. It's one word. I think you can remember it. Jesus. I know we got a lot of stuff to talk about church in Corinth. Corinthians, I know I've heard some reports. I've gotten word from what's happening since I left you. But let's just start here. Because if we can get Jesus at the center, anchored in your life, a lot of these other things will begin to work themselves out. If we can get you in love with him and following his way and wanting to lean into the way of Christ, a lot of the stuff you all are dealing with will just begin to go away. Yes, we're gonna address those things. But this was the central calling and reality of Paul's life, to lift up the name of Jesus, to point people to Jesus, to explain what it means to follow Jesus. This was the main thing he was about, and he devoted his entire life to it. His entire life to it. This might be a bit of a stretch, but I was, I was watching an interview recently with uh, Jerry Seinfeld, amazing comedian. Y'all heard of him? Anybody know about Jerry Seinfeld? Okay. Um, it was incredible because the interviewer was asking him, hey, Jerry, uh, when did you know? When did you know that you wanted to spend your whole life doing comedy? When did you know that you were called to comedy? And he shares a story of when he was in grade school or elementary school or middle school. He said, you know, I was sitting on my front porch with my best friend. We were literally, he said that we were, we were eating milk and cookies after school one day. I don't know why that's so funny to me, but it just is. And uh, he goes, we were sitting there. I don't even remember what we were talking about, but apparently I said something funny. And my friends started to laugh. And he had a cookie in his mouth. And he had just taken a drink of milk. And he kept laughing. In fact, his laughter increased so much that he began choking on the cookie and he began shooting milk out of his nose. And I'm just watching him and he can't, he can't even breathe. And Jerry's like, I'm thinking I should help him. But also in that moment, I'm realizing this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. <laughs> because I want to make people laugh like that. I think I'm pretty good at it. And so he started, you know, doing every stand-up comedy gig that he could possibly get a hold of from high school all the way and beyond. He said, I'm going to make a career out of this. And he said, for the first 18 months, I didn't get paid once. I took every gig I could. I didn't get paid one time, but I loved it. There was, if you cut him to the core, he's like, I wanted to make people laugh. I wanted to bring comedy into the world. That's what I knew. That's what my calling was. So one thing Jerry Seinfeld has been about his entire life. And look, if you read the New Testament, if you read the Apostle Paul, he talks about a lot of stuff. Paul, Paul wrote 13 letters, 13 letters, that literally changed the course of Western civilization. Him and Jesus are among the two most influential figures in the history of the world. This guy was a former murderer. But when he saw the risen Christ, something changed so deeply inside of him. He said, look, I don't care if I'm flogged, beaten. I don't care if I ever get paid for this. I, I don't care. I've got to tell people about Jesus for all my days. And when you boil Paul down to the one main thing in his life, it's Jesus. I'm not saying Paul and Jerry Seinfeld are the same thing, but you get the idea. There's one thing that Paul was about, and it was about lifting up the name of Jesus and it was the entire passion and the focus of his life. 
And so Paul gets these reports. He gets these reports about what's happening in, in Corinth. And so you can, you can break the entire book down into really five sections here with chapter 16 being final greetings. But it's almost like a series of essays where Paul is responding to specific issues. There's a lot more issues enlisted here, but this is a general list of what Paul is responding to in Corinth. The first four chapters, he talks about division. The church is divided over some really silly stuff, and Paul really calls him out on that. He says, you've gotta be unified. The world isn't gonna think there's anything different about us if we are so divided as the body of Christ. He, he addresses this issue of division. He talks about sex, he talks about food, and specifically he talks about not just what you should or shouldn't eat, but food in the context to an old way of life. Because food was a part of worship in the ancient Greek world, a part of every temple's worship. There was food sacrificed to different pagan gods, and after the sacrifice was made, they would eat the food that had been sacrificed to idols. So there was a question, uh, how much of our old life comes with us into our new life, into this Christian life? So th this was a big issue for them. How much stays in the past and how much comes forward with us as we learn to follow the way of Jesus? He talks about the church. What should the church do? Who should the church be? How should we gather? What should happen when we gather? And then he, he closes in, ver in chapter 15 with the return of Christ. How our ultimate vision, our ultimate hope, the anchor of our life is that Jesus is returning one day to make all things new. And this is an outline of the book, and we're going to dive into each of these over the next few weeks. But I want us to see right off the bat, there's some things we're going to learn as we, as we sort of peel back the curtain and look into these issues, because these are all issues that we deal with today. The same things that the Corinthians were dealing with 2,000 years ago are the, th are the very same things that are wreaking havoc on our lives today. It may look a little different on the outside, but underneath, it's the same. And so we're going to learn something. We, we've already mentioned this a little bit, but number one, humans are still human. Shocker. Amen, somebody. Number two, we're going to ask the question, are we hypocrites or are we just immature? There's a big difference. The world loves to sling that word hypocrite at Christians. And if you read the book of Corinth, man, that would that make the front page of every tabloid in the modern world. Were they all hypocrites or were they immature? And what's the difference? How do we know? And then number three, Paul really wants to hone in on this idea that our lifestyle matters. How we choose to live matters. Yes, we can be immature and in process, but our daily choices, the gospel has to affect our daily rhythms and our life. Following Jesus is so much more than just in name. It's in action. It's indeed. And so number one, I, I want to dive just a little deeper into this idea that humans haven't changed very much over the past 2,000 years. We're still divided over a million different issues. Sex is still one of the greatest gifts God has given the world, but also a source of great pain, confusion, hurt, and harm in people's lives. Food, we already talked about this, was not just the issue of food, but how much of our old life needs to die and what from our old life can we bring forward into following the way of Jesus? All these issues that they're dealing with are the same things that we're dealing with today. The core issues of every human heart have been the same from the beginning. And 
This is amazing to me. I did some study on this this week. Christianity is the largest world religion. But what's amazing to me is this. Most major world religions, Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism, yes, they, in some ways they have transcended their culture. They've transcended where they started. They've crossed a few language barriers. But nowhere close to the way that Christianity has. In fact, most, the, the, the mass core population of Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism are very, very close to where they all began. Most adherents of those world religions are still very culturally anchored to where those religions started. It's the complete opposite for Christianity. You go to the Middle East or Israel today, it's hard to find Christians there. And yet Christianity, where it began, it transcended Greek culture, Roman culture. It made it all the way into Europe. Now, now the center of Christianity, the, the highest population of Christians in the world is in Africa and Asia. Not even where it began. It transcended every culture, every language barrier, every form of political hierarchy, every monarchy, every empire. Christianity truly is spreading to the ends of the earth because it speaks to the core issues of every human heart in a way that nothing else does. In the way that nothing else does, it transcends every culture. Christianity is a human thing because it deals with human issues. It still speaks to the, the core issues in every human heart. Issues like, where do I find significance? What's happening in this world? Where do I fit in? What's the story? What's really going on here? It, it speaks to our identity. It speaks to our desire for beauty and fascination. We're aware that something, it speaks to the fact that we're all aware that something isn't quite right with us and the world. We're all faced with death and questions about what lies beyond the grave. We all deal at some level with pain and suffering in this life. And because we're created in God's image, humans from the very beginning of time have been drawn to worship something. Even without any explanation or anybody telling them to, humans are drawn to worship because they are, they are designed by God with a God-sized hole in their soul that is drawn to the reality of a creator. Christianity speaks to all of these issues and it speaks of a God unlike any other. A God of love who would sacrifice himself to save the people he loved. A God who's going to make all the wrong things right. A God of justice and holiness. A God who is eager to forgive and extend grace. A God who fulfills the very nature of the sacrifice he requires so that you and I can be forgiven freely. The world has never fathomed a God like that. And yet it speaks to the core issues of what every human heart needs and desires And yet it's so interesting, if you talk to people today, especially those who are not Christians, who don't believe in Christ, one of the number one reasons they give is this. Well, it's because Christians are hypocrites. That, you know, I like Jesus. I just don't like Christians very much. They seem like a mean, angry, divided bunch over a lot of silly stuff. 
Yeah, I'm not, I'd, I'd probably be interested to hear more about Jesus. I just can't stand those Christians. They're all hypocrites. And w- what I want to ask is this. Are all Christians just hypocrites? Or are we broken, messy people in process? With some issues, right? Because when I look at the, the book of 1 Corinthians, what I see, Paul doesn't go, you bunch of hypocrites. You're not living the way you say you should. You're not living what you believe. They're not. Clearly, they've got some stuff going on. But he doesn't say you're hypocrites. He goes, you're just immature. You're learning of what it means to follow Jesus. And there's a big difference. You see, the reason Jesus went after the Pharisees and he called them hypocrites is because the Pharisees, as the judgmental people of that religious culture, they looked around and they said, all of you, have got to live up, you've got to live up to this standard in order to be right with God. And yet secretly in their own hearts, and Jesus called them out for this, none of them were even living up to the standard that they were requiring others to live up to. And they were condemning everyone for not making the standard, and they were pretending to make it themselves. And they were justifying themselves through their actions. That's what a hypocrite is. Somebody that holds people to a standard that they themselves are not willing to follow. The Corinthians, they they were just a mess. They had no standards. They were living their life and loving it, right? And Paul was like, okay, we've got to realign some things. Oftentimes what the world labels hypocrisy, and yes, we want, we'll get to this in a second, we want lives that are aligned with Jesus But often what the world labels hypocrisy is simply Christians who are in need of the grace of God like everyone else who are in process. Amen, somebody. And that, I think, is one of the central teachings, one of the main things we learn from this book of 1 Corinthians. But then we move on to number three, and Paul makes it very clear. He says, yes, you're immature, you're learning, you're growing in your faith. But I want to make this clear. Your lifestyle does matter. There are some things about the way you used to live that are not compatible any longer with the way of Jesus. You can't just slap a label on it and pretend like it's something else. Give you an example, right? Uh, Peanut butter and jelly. Two of the greatest things ever created. This is jelly, right? And we can have a debate later whether strawberry or grape is better, but I'm going strawberries seven days a week. Come on, Jesus. But I'm telling you this right now. This is peanut butter. That's jelly. We know that, right? If I slap a label that says jelly on this, does that make this jelly? It's a hard question. Just because I put a different label on it doesn't mean the contents have changed at all. This is still peanut butter. This is still Jif peanut butter, creamy Jif peanut butter. Big old jar of it. Just because I put a label jelly on it doesn't mean it changes immediately. Same with the jelly. If I put the word, the label peanut butter on the jelly, friends, this is still delicious Smucker's strawberry jelly or jam. The label doesn't change the contents. It doesn't change what's inside the the jar. It doesn't change it. And the Corinthians were wrestling with this. They were saying, look, 
there's a lot of things about my, my old lifestyle that I liked a lot, like especially some of the guys, they were like, hey, I really love worshiping in certain temples because in those temples, I can kind of do whatever I want sexually and it's really, you know, socially acceptable and can't I just keep doing that? I'm a Christian now, but I don't need to leave that behind, right? That was a lot of fun. And what Paul is saying is like, hey, you can't just slap a new label on something. When Jesus moves into your life, the kingdom of God begins to take over. And there's certain things that got to stay back there. A friend of mine up in, he's a pastor up in Vancouver. He shares a story. It's awesome. He goes, I'll never forget this. In the early days, he planted a church that exploded up in Vancouver. He says, in the early days... Um, there was a man, just rough looking guy, started coming to church and ends up putting his faith in Jesus and getting baptized. And we get to hear more of his story. And, you know, this guy, the pastor's name is Mark. And Mark's like, hey, what, you know, what, what do you do for a living? Guy's like, I, I sell drugs. And I launder money. I run these streets. That's what he says. I run these streets. Like, Mark's like, oh, so you're, you're a gang, you're like a real life gang gangster. And he's like, yeah, man, I am a real life gangster. And Mark's like, okay, we, you know, we got some work to do. We got some, we got a way ahead of us here. And the guy shows up a couple months later, Mark sees him at church. He's like, man, how's it going? What's going on? He's like, it's great. Still running these streets. Haven't got caught yet. I'm still free. I'm not in jail yet. Things are going great. Mark's like, huh? Oh, hold on, time out. What do you mean? Like, you're still a gangster? He's like, yeah, man, but now I'm a Christian gangster. <laughs> now I got Christ. I put a new label on the peanut butter. Now it's jelly, but I'm still peanut butter. And Mark's like, no, 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 man, it's, it doesn't work like that. Like, you know, once you put your faith in Christ, there's actually a way of Christ that you have to follow. Once Jesus moves in, there's some old things in you that got to die. Like you're going to have to find a new job. You know, pushing drugs and laundering money is not simpatico with following Christ. There's some things in you you got to put to death and leave behind. Paul is saying your lifestyle matters. Christianity, friends, and, and so often we miss this, right? Christianity is not a label. It's a lifestyle, Christianity is a new way of life that flows from the life of Christ inside of us. Inside of us. Matthew 13 says it like this. When you put your faith in Christ, the kingdom of heaven moves into your heart. And it's like leaven that eventually leavens the entire lump of dough. It slowly begins to take over every part of your life. Sure, it may take a while to stop selling drugs. But eventually, if you're really a believer, that's going to stop. Or by the grace of God, you'll just get arrested and God will shut it down. <laughs> Sometimes he does bring us to our rock bottom moments in life. But what Paul is saying in this letter is, you're not just a bunch of hip hypocrites. You're, you're just immature. You're in process. But your lifestyle does matter, Corinthians. There's certain things from the old way of life in Corinth that do not need to come with you into the new way of life of following Jesus. I, I'm, Christ did not come just so we could slap the label Christian on our life. He came to raise us from the dead and lead us into a whole new way of living. It's not a label, it's a lifestyle. 
And when Jesus talks about us becoming a new creation, he means it. Friends, (laughs) there are no Christian gangsters. We're all learning to follow the way of Christ. And what I love about this book is it gets into the nitty gritty, the reality that we're all facing in different ways. It applies the gospel to all sorts of different situations that we can take and learn from and glean from and say, Lord, how do I apply the gospel here? Here's the, here's the report. Here's the issue. Here's the struggle. How, how does Jesus become the center here? How does the gospel empower me to change here? What does it look like as I get into community here? And so friends, as we dive into this book, it is going to be an in-our-face, upfront and personable, personal examination of the work of God in our lives that we would not be people who just slap a label on our chest, but don't experience the transforming power of God's Holy Spirit inside of us. The first Christians were meant to be something radically different than the culture around them. The way of Jesus is meant to look different than the world around us. Amen? Amen. We're going to close by taking communion together. And I love it because communion represents every week. It's a rhythm. It's a reminder. This is not a, this is not a throwaway moment at the end of our service. This is an important formative moment for our lives. It's a reminder for us every week of the grace of God. It's a reminder for us every week that Christ came and died for us, that we're a part of something that no man could have thought of. That we're a part of a larger story that God is writing. And so in this moment, we come in a fresh way to the cross and say, Jesus, thank you. Maybe for some of you in the room today, maybe a friend invited you, maybe you've never heard the message of the gospel before and you want to take a step of faith today. Maybe there's this reality where you've said, man, I've just kind of slapped a label on my life, but I haven't experienced the grace and the power of God inside. And God's inviting you. He's calling you today to step into an entirely new way of living. And so in this moment, while we take communion, I just want you to shut your eyes and to reach out in your heart to Jesus. And remember that God himself came down in the form of a man He lived a perfect life and he died a death that we deserved. And he conquered death, our greatest enemy, and rose to new life because he loved us. And in this moment, every week, we we take the bread and the juice and we remember the sacrifice of our king. And if you want to take a step of faith today, there are connect cards throughout this auditorium in the seat backs in front of you. Please fill that out. Let us know. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to connect with you. We've got a gift for you. We'd love to share a Bible with you, help get you connected. But in this moment right here, let's just in our hearts say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. And let's take communion together. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.